Welcome to the Our Savior Speaks podcast from Our Savior Episcopal Church, located at 4227 Columbia Road in Martinez, Georgia. Through this podcast, we'll be sharing messages of hope and encouragement that can be found in the life and lessons of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will also explore ways in which God can work through each of us to make our Lord's grace and love a reality for all of humanity. On this week's Our Savior Speaks podcast, we have the very Reverend Billy Alford, who is the Dean Emeritus of the Augusta Convocation. Dean Alford delivers an inspiring sermon that focuses on the lesson from Matthew's Gospel. He notes how this passage is about commitment to the life and well-being of the other, our neighbor. He speaks about the choice we make every day to love or not to love. He then explores what love looks like by commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. He goes on to talk about what we might achieve if we embody this commandment each day of our lives. Now, he'll have many more enriching points in a few moments as he delivers his sermon. And the passages that we're going to hear read in a moment are from Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12, Psalm 90, verse 1 through 6 and 13 to 17, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 8, and our gospel passage from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 46. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him the whole land. Gilead, as far as Dan, all Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Western Sea. The Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees. As far as Zoah, the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days, and then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The word of the Lord. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. 
You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with the words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Sadducees heard that Jesus had silenced, excuse me, let me start again. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If, they, if David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
In the name of the living God, amen. This morning we hear Matthew telling a story of an encounter that Jesus had on the Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus was involved in a long series of disputes with the Sadducees, lawyers, chief priests, elders, scribes, Pharisees, and their disciples. And in each confrontation, such as the one we just heard read, Jesus proves himself more careful, more clever, and inspired than his adversaries. And when Jesus was questioned about the Messiah and his relationship with David, they were stomped and finally silence. So we thought. But before they would leave in disgrace, a legal expert among them, we're told it was a lawyer, among the Pharisees, asked Jesus one last question in order to test him. He asked, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? For Jesus to answer wisely would be confirmation of his teaching authority. And it seems that after a long day of verbal battle, even the Pharisees began to lose steam and wonder whether their efforts had been worthwhile. So Jesus very cleverly answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These, Jesus says, are the two commandments on which everything else hangs. They are the two sides of the same thing. And you can't truly have one without the other. So this is about more than our feelings or affections for God and one another. It is about commitment, commitment to the life and well-being of the other, the neighbor. It is a choice we make every day to love or not to love. Sounds a little bit Shakespearean, doesn't it? But, But we make that choice every single day. But I wonder what love looks like when we have to love by commandment the neighbor as we love ourselves. I wonder what your life and my life would be like if we held those two commandments as a guiding principle for all that we do. I wonder what we might create or achieve if we embodied and lived those commandments every single day. Here's another way of asking the same question. What kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of world do you want your children and your grandchildren and those who will come after you to live in? What are your best wishes and hopes for the future of the world, for our community and for this city? What do you pray for when you look at everything that is happening in the world today? What is your honest and sincere prayer? Here's some of the things that I want that I wish and pray for. I want a world that is founded on human dignity and respect for one another, for all people, like the, the baptismal covenant says, the dignity of every human being. I want a world in which people come first, a world in which principles and policies support people 
rather than agendas. I want justice for all and not just for those who can afford it or for the powerful. I want a world in which different religions and beliefs are valued and viewed as a means for all of us to meet our creator, the Holy One. I want a world in which diversity and difference are celebrated rather than casually dismissed or even seen as a threat. I want a world in which people and nations are at peace with themselves and with one another. I want a world in which we face and learn from our past mistakes and our past failures and don't continue to repeat them so that we can do and be better people. I want a world in which everyone has a living wage, suitable employment, educational opportunities, access to health care, safe and decent housing, enough to eat, and clean drinking water. I want a world in which the first, maybe even the only judgment we make is that the needs the concerns and the sorrows, the hopes and dreams and lives of others matter as much to us as our own lives, our own dreams, our own hopes. I'm sure we all want the same thing. And isn't that the kind of world you want to live in, in and pass on to the next generation? What else would you add to the list? It's quite a a long list that I have, but I'm sure you have these things on your list, or maybe even others. But ultimately, that list points to a world in which we love God and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We say that's what we want, but is it really? Do we really believe those are the two commandments on which everything hangs? Everything. When I was in seminary, the rector of the, my field at parish in Washington, D.C. said that these two commandments says all of it. That is it. And everything else in Holy Scripture becomes commentary on how to get us to love God, love ourselves and our neighbors as ourselves. All of it. All of it is commentary on how to do that. And he concluded by saying that, that everything else in Holy Scripture is commentary. And I want to say yes to those questions, but I'm not really sure anymore that my, I have all the answers that only leads to frustration when I alone cannot seem to solve the problem, because it takes all of us. I look at what is happening in our country and in the Middle East today, and I'm not so sure that we're living fully under those two commandments. If we did, if we all were to love God and our neighbor as we loved ourselves, wouldn't our world be different? How could we separate children from their parents and possibly ever reunite them and think that it's okay? Why have we become numb to the near daily reportings of mass killings of innocent human beings all over this country and not speak out against it or call for some change? Maybe you have one voice, but one voice added to my one voice and the other one voices 
we can shout with a chorus that this has to stop. Could it be that we do not see them as our neighbors, the others, until it happens to me in my neighborhood? And then I identify with that neighbor? Can we honestly say that we love them the way we love ourselves? And why do we seem more energized by blame, by name-calling, and by pointing fingers and working together for solutions? It's about loving our neighbor in the same way we love ourselves and if we say we love God. We claim to be a Christian nation and the greatest democracy in the world, and yet there's growing concern for increased anger and hatred among our two major political parties that govern our common lives. Those two parties govern our common lives, and we seem to be at a loss to do anything. Love God, Jesus says, yes, but what is it that I love when I say I love God? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that we love when we say we love God? I can't help but wonder if nationalism, individual rights, and self-interest have displaced God as our first love. If God was our first love, wouldn't God and God's concerns, God's dreams and hopes be ours? Love your neighbor, Jesus says, yes, it's a value I claim to hold in my life. It is something that I teach and I preach, and yet I only know the names of two of my neighbors. The neighbors across the street from me, I don't know. So how could I possibly know their hurts? How could I possibly know their hopes or their needs when I haven't bothered to even ask their names? What about you? How do you love your neighbor? Who do you see as your neighbor? One of the things I know about myself, and maybe this is true for you, is that I can always find the time or the money or the energy for the things that really matter to me. I've often said, and I Sandy probably know I buy too many shoes. I love buying shoes. But do I donate as freely to causes help my neighbor who has not enough to eat or no place to sleep. And regardless of how much I have, I've never had enough time or money and energy for the things that I don't think that matter to me. I hope you know that I'm not talking about the quantity of my time and money, but the quality, the quality and the shape of those commitments that I make. When I look at my wish list and listen to my prayers for the world, I ask to myself, what am I doing to bring the world into existence for God's sake? It is not enough to only want. It is not enough to only wish or pray that the world be a better place. But what am I doing to actively make this a better place where I want to live, therefore making a better place for my neighbor? But what I'm doing to help bring God's beloved community here on earth, other than talking about it. I'm afraid those two great commandments have become like an old favorite song 
The tune has been so overplayed that it no longer calls us to the dance floor. And when we hear it, it's familiar in our ears and we shout out, ooh, 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 that's my jam. But when it comes to singing the song, we realize we have forgotten the words. We may remember the refrain, but we don't know the lyrics that we fell in love with. We don't know the lyrics that caused us to move in the first place. And we have lost a passion for the lyrics that make the music and we, that we say we loved, the music that once moved our souls. And it's kind of like my neighbor across the street. I say that they are my neighbor. I know that they are my neighbor because they live in close proximity to me. The people across the street from me are my neighbors. I watch them come and go from their jobs every day, trying to make a living for themselves and for their families, but I don't know anything else about their lives. What make them human? And maybe they're wondering the same thing about the man with the collar around his neck across the street. I don't know what that is, but it is not love. The love Jesus speaks about is all or nothing. We love God first or not at all. We love everyone else or not at all. And what if you ask someone, do you love me? This person you've had your eye on, do you love me? And after a long and awkward pause and some considerable deliberation, he or she says, well, up to a certain point. Under these conditions and circumstances, to a certain extent, yes, I love you. Or as a presidential candidate said a while back famously, you're lovable enough. And when this happens, you know your answer, don't you? And it is not what you wanted to hear. We all know what genuine love feels like. And when there's a hesitation and there's a pause, it makes you question it, doesn't it? The mark of really loving someone as something is unconditional and engaging and commitment, like fire and passion. And where is that today in your life, in my life, in the life of this country, in the life of this city? What is the recipient of that love and who is not receiving that love? And what would it take for you and me to expand this circle of our love? Or do we want to? I really struggle with today's gospel and this sermon. It would have been so much easier had and a little less risky to preach a sentimental, good-feeling sermon about loving God and neighbor. But that is not what God is calling us to do, is it? But that would have been a betrayal of Jesus for you and me if I were to have done that. So, you get what you get. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you were asking right now, so where's the hope in this sermon? And you'd be right to ask that question. And I ask myself that exact question, and here's my answer. You are the hope. I am the hope. You and I are the hope that runs through this sermon, runs through this world, through this community.
You and I are the hope that God is calling on, accounting on. You and I are the hope of the next generation. You and I are the hope for our country, for this city, and for the world. You and I are love's only hope for the world. To love God with all our heart, mind, and soul seems nearly impossible when you think of love as an emotion. How, do, how does one conjure up feeling for something as remote, as mysterious, as disembodied as the concept of God? If you don't believe God is real. We cannot look into God's eyes and wrap our arms around the spirit or even see the face of Jesus. We have to believe, we have to trust in the Holy Scriptures and walk by faith. Likewise, loving our neighbor is difficult. If, I lo if, if love is merely as passive and responsive to the person next to us, we are, are likely to be often repulsed than moved by love. I bet we all say, I know the Bible says it, but you don't know this person like I know this person. And if you did, you couldn't love them either. So how can one legitimately look into the face of an enemy and feel unqualified love? I think it's nearly impossible. Unless, unless of course you truly believe that you might see the face of God in that person. You know, if I were to speak to my neighbor across the street, I'm sure she's a wonderful person, but I might just see the face of God in her. Which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he concludes with, on that, you can hang all the law and the gospel. Amen.